electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Are we setting up for a great stock shakeout? Wyatt may already be underway. We will debate our, your money's next move with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. Pete Najarian's here along with Jim Labenthal and Josh Brown. Let's go to the wall, show you what stocks are doing. They've been down across the board. Russell's getting a little bit of a lift, but you see the Dow's down 29. It's come well off of its lows, as has the NASDAQ. The 10-year note yield at 161. So rates have been falling, though tech's not really working. The reflation trade not really working. We should show you the VIX, too, because the VIX had spiked above 10% uh, today. That's come off, too. But, Pete, really, the, the, the question is, are, are we in the early to mid stages of some kind of shakeout in the market? Well, Pete's audio is not working two days in a row. Uh, that's really great. All right, Josh Brown, I have to turn my attention then to you and what we're calling five signs of trouble. And it's really what I want to it talk about. It sounds like so you're not happy about it. Well, what's that? You have to turn your attention. Well, I mean, I'll do, you know, I'll do yes, my best to be yes, as good Yesterday, as Joe was frozen right off the top. Now today, you know, Pete's audio is not working. So, you know, I throw my hands up in the air and this is what this is what we're doing. Don't blush. It's OK. I'm happy to come to you. America would love to hear from you. <laughs> so you heard the question to Pete. What's the answer, Josh? Yeah. I wish I did a better Minnesota accent. I don't, I don't see how we're at the beginning of a great stock shakeout, Scott, only because of how much damage has already been done, arguably where uh, it should have been expected to have been done. Um, and by that, I mean going into today, the S&P 500 was within 2% of an all-time record high. You had Spotify go into the day down 35% off its high. Teladoc off 44, Zoom off 47 um, you go down the list, these are all the live-by-the-gun, die-by-the-gun uh, situations. And as we've talked about before, they are in a highly specific area of the market with all the same funds uh, and, and investors involved with them. And they're not terribly important to the major averages. I know it doesn't make people feel better that went all in on these names, but you just look like DoorDash, 50% drawdown, Snowflake, 53, Teladoc, 40 that didn't happen overnight. That shakeout has been in progress uh, since the end of January, I would say. And it's interesting that rates have cooled off because this was never about rates. Remember what I've been saying since October is what it would really be about, which is an excess of supply. So all I do all day is sit alone in this room, listening to Nas and reading (laughs) S1s. And the deal quality is falling off a cliff. Like every new company coming public is slightly worse than the same version of it that came public two weeks earlier. There's a story at Reuters today about SPAC pops. 
Um, there were 15 of them that went public in the last week. Only one of them is trading above okay. $10, let me, let which me is do where this. they all come out. Okay, you're, so you're, that, that's what's happened. Your, your, your points are obviously well taken, okay? Yeah, this, this may have started a while ago in some of those high-flying momentum names and a very specific part of the market. Our question today, though, is whether it's now spreading elsewhere. Uh, let me just roll <coughs> out some, some ideas, and we can debate them for our viewers. All right. The number Josh just talks about the number of SPACs that are are under ten dollars. Thirty four of the 50 in the CNBC SPAC 50 are currently below ten dollars. So, right. It's not just a few. It's thirty four now of 50. The well-documented pullback in the ARC funds, they've been crushed lately. The momentum hit. Those stocks have been crushed. Well, what about the Russell that we were talking about? Right. Small caps lead you on the way up. The Russell had a monster run, okay? The Russell 2000 stocks are selling off. Names like Caesars and Penn National, those are down 12 and 11% respectively month to date. I've got Wingstop in there, AMC, Cinemark, The Real Real, you know, names like that. And then I go even some of the recovery stocks have been pulling back of late. Boeing this week alone is down 8.5%. The airlines are down, in most cases, double digits. I've got the cruise lines down double digits midway. I've got the casinos down this week 9% or so apiece. I've got the hotel stocks down this week alone as well. So, Pete, that tells of a more perhaps broadening shakeout of stocks. Yeah, I think to some degree, Scott. I mean, we've watched this this transition in each and every day, not just every week, but how about the fact that each and every day we see, well, today it's energy, industrials, financials, materials, right? They're leading to the upside, then they, they, they seem to be pulling us to the downside. And it's been that back and forth that we're seeing, and some name, names it's definitely stuck a little bit more than others. There are some areas of the market, though, Scott, that have stood out, that they've actually traded much better maybe than previously at least looked upon uh, that they would. And they really are starting to perform really nicely. I think there's some names, for instance, in the retail space that are trading really nicely. Maybe they've been lagging. Maybe some of these names hadn't really participated to the same degree. And I think that's what we are seeing. It's, again, a healthy thing, I think, but it's a bit of a rotation that we're seeing. It just is multiple different areas where we're seeing a bit of a rotation, not a full-blown getting out of something and getting into something else, but just some migration, which I think is very healthy for what we're seeing in the markets. What happens, Tiff, if, you know, a lot of the areas that I just mentioned to all of you down my list had great retail participation, right? So what happens if a good portion of that retail cohort has lost money, so now they're losing interest, so they're, you know, they, they've absorbed some of the losses in the areas that I've said, some of the popular Russell names, some of the very popular momentum names, some of the ARC names or the SPAC names. What happens if that money stays away? Yeah, so uh, if Josh sits and listens to Nas all day, you know, in, in, in addition to Nasir Jones, I'm also listening to Biggie and Jay-Z because this is about strategy, right? Um, in addition, so... If 2020 was the year of individual stock selection, Scott, 2021 has to be the year of strategy. And so for the reasons that you mentioned, you know, all of these kind of high flying growth names got really, really popular, lots of momentum um, with with retail traders. And so if I'm a retail trader, I'm sitting home and thinking, you know, really, 
um, getting kind of like whiplash with all of these headlines going on right now and the market just kind of going up and down in volatility. And so you have to just stop for a minute and think and really pay attention to what your strategy is, right? It has to be an overall asset allocation strategy. You have to make decisions not on headlines, not in days, not not in days or weeks, but think for the long term and really figure out, you know, what your what your end goal is. Um, just making those decisions, I think, helps keep uh, investors afloat and stay on course and figure out where their next move is coming from. So for me. Um, you know, I've said it before. I always say this. I'm a long-term investor. I'm not a. Um, I'm not a trader. I'm not necessarily looking at what a stock does in a day, in a week. I'm paying attention to those kinds of things because I'm looking for overall trends when you pull back. Um, but I'm. I'm not necessarily paying attention or really um, moving on daily moves or weekly moves of an individual stock. Yeah, I mean these are you know, several weeks of, of moves. Let, let's do this. Um, yeah. You guys probably noticed oil's down pretty substantially today. Crude's down more than 5%. Kayla Tausche has some breaking news for us on the energy industry. Kayla? Scott, the top oil and gas lobby is endorsing a carbon pricing program. It's a significant policy shift as President Biden prepares to unveil a climate and infrastructure plan. Today, the American Petroleum Institute uh, officially says it supports a carbon tax or a cap on emissions so long as either is market-based and also applies to all emitting industries, not just energy. The Biden administration has estimated the cost of carbon at roughly 50 times what the Trump administration had, and an official final cost of carbon is expected within the year. API Chief Mike Summers tells me that the group recognizes the world has changed since the last time Washington considered a so-called cap-and-trade program, but he said the group uh, supports a carbon pricing scheme uh, that would tackle climate change and limit future emissions not to pay for government programs. That's going to be an important distinction as the administration looks to support a carbon tax potentially as part of a future economic plan. We'll be discussing this and much more tomorrow in a first on CNBC interview with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Uh, but this, Scott, as I mentioned, is a significant policy shift by the oil and gas industry as the political tides here in Washington are changing. All right, Kayla, we appreciate that. Kayla Tausche for us with that breaking news. Back to our conversation on the market. Farmer Jim, let me hear from you, right? So I, I went through all of these, you know, you know, five is what we're calling them, five trouble signs for stocks with a question mark as to whether you agree with that. One of the other things you hear is that there's just not a catalyst now to take stocks for another leg higher. All of the news is already known. So what's out there that's going to lift stocks from here? Well, the, the obvious one on a positive side is first quarter earnings, but they're still a good three weeks away. On the negative side, you do have to wonder what next Wednesday, I believe that's when President Biden is coming out with his infrastructure spending and taxation bill. And I think the market from a longer term perspective is looking at that and is going to weigh the positives of potential stimulus from infrastructure spending versus taxation. Now, that's still a week away and we don't know what it's going to what it's going to entail. I think this week what you're dealing with is a bunch of short-term issues that are eventually going to be noise. Um, the Suez Canal blockage, that's real, okay? That's going to delay shipments. That's going to increase shipping costs. But it's also going to pass. They'll get that ship unblocked. 
Um, same with the chip shortages, which have been going on for a while. And look, they took a turn for the worse last weekend when a, a plant for a company called Renassis in India went up in flames. But again, that will be solved. Those are short-term issues that have weighed, definitely weighed on the cyclical sectors of the market, not on the SPACs, but on the cyclical sectors. They will pass. But the long-term issue that I'm looking forward to is what next week's infrastructure and taxation picture looks like. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Um, you know, taxation changes are another possible headwind for, for the stock market. So what, what Josh does always well for us is to put things in perspective. And yes, it's true. With everything that I said, all of these issues in certain parts of the market, the S&P is only 3% or so away from its recent highs. And it's not to say that there aren't stocks that are working, as Pete has, has, has very well made that point, too. If we can go through some of the stocks that you guys think will work or are working, um, some of the positive stories that are out there, Josh, you, you've got some, and then I'm going to come to you, Pete, so get ready for the new stocks that you bought. But Josh, start us off on these stocks you think can work or are working in this environment that may be not focused on enough. So that's a really good point, Scott. And I guess the, the one thing I would just preface this with saying is one of the hallmarks of the rally that we've experienced over the last year from the low is just this constant grinding rotation beneath the surface, which is how you know the rally was a real bull market, by the way. So if you're buying just what's working today, just the green stocks today, you're not guaranteed those will be green tomorrow. And we've seen that back and forth, as Pete mentioned, you know, between energy, tech, you know, it's so that'll continue. But just look what's green today, because I think that's really instructive. With as much carnage as we've talked about in some of the, the glamour stocks, Pulte only goes up. Expedia grinding higher, like that's home building and travel. Those are two things that continue unabated. In fact, uh, almost all of the home builders are up today and all of the reopen stocks, the malls, um, uh, yeah, you have the carnivals up today. So I think if you really want to focus on fundamental uh, drivers and things that will probably be with us all year, it's reopen. And so it's travel. And it's household formation and the secular trend of the suburbanization of America, the re-suburbanization. So those two things, I think, will be strong all year. So maybe those are the right ponds to fish in um, if you're looking for areas where almost all of the stocks are in uptrends. And you could certainly find plenty of names. You, you could, Josh, have gotten Live Nation uh, under 80 uh, earlier today. It's, it's back above there, almost uh, 83. That's a stock you I mean, still uh, like, right? Yeah, I think, that's, I think it goes up. I think Simon Property goes up. Um, these are stocks that are going to benefit from people coming back out of their homes and doing stuff. And uh, on days where they're red because the overall market is selling off, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing if you're not in them or you don't have a full position on because those are better days to buy them. So, yeah, that's exactly how I would think of this. Pete, uh, you bought, I'm coming to you, you bought Depot, right? That, that's a new one. And we're talking stock, mm -hmm. right? We're not talking options necessarily, yeah. are we? Right. Right. No, I did. I bought the stock, Scott. And the reason why I've been sitting back, I've been in this stock and the options on many different occasions in the past. Been sitting here waiting for a pullback. It's just not happening, Scott. And so I, I, I just took a long look at it today and decided, you know what? 
This is a name that has continued to work. We see the growth. We see the earnings growth. We see the sales growth. We know that it's springtime, and I always call it Christmas and springtime because that's when people are flowing into Home Depot going for everything and anything and everything. So I think that's a name that actually can expand a little bit more. Yes, the P.E. is a little bit higher than normal, but not a lot. And when you look at what their growth is, when you look at what their sales growth is, this is a company that's done a lot of things well. But that doesn't mean Lowe's hasn't done well because they have. Jimmy's Tractor Supply, which I've been in and out of, has done very, very well also. But I also think uh, when you stick with retail, how about what's going on with Target quietly? Nobody talks about it, Scott, but post-earnings, that stock <laughs> Nobody popped. Nobody talks it, about it. It dropped. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> well, it popped and dropped, right? And it got down to 167. And, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, geez, everything's wrong with Target. It's hit peak earnings. Well, take a look at where it is today. I don't even think they're close to peak earnings. As a matter of fact, the most important part of what they said in their earnings release was margins because that's where the margins are going to be we know the growth is off the off the chain i mean we can see that in every single category you want the drive up and everything else that they've got the digital their growth is absolutely ridiculous but it's the margin scott and i think that's what's so important that people don't understand during the pandemic people went for essentials but that brought in nine billion dollars worth of market share that now if it's sticky and i believe that it is that margin's going to continue to go up because people are going through the rest of the store what's that do you qualify for target healthcare what? yet like what, how how deep how deep in are you what would make you what would make you sell target well, pete anything um if they if they if they made some stumbles along the way just like anything i would but i don't see that right now i think they've done they navigated through the pandemic really really well i think and obviously with cvs within the stores all the in the store ideas they've done everything right it's a lot like what we'd seen out of best buy not too terribly long ago a couple years ago they started the in the store kind of category and and they floated out there for a while ago in terms of target well, that apple might be a part of this whole thing too imagine that so that's another trigger another catalyst for the stock i mean you're raving about you know target um you bought walmart calls right yes well it doesn't mean that walmart can't perform i mean you know we always go through this whole uh exercise of walmart versus target when it really isn't the case because walmart is far more of a grocery company than they are uh the rest of the different categories targets five you look over at walmart 51 percent of it is grocery so their margins are not anything close to what you see out of target but i think also this is another one of these names where people are get more familiar people who'd never maybe gone into a walgreens or a walmart or a target ever before now that they've gone, they know exactly what's there, and it, it prompts them to want to go back. And I, so I think that that's one of the triggers and catalysts coming out of the pandemic. And, and Walmart's paused for a while. I think Walmart's got some room to the upside as well. You know, Tiff, when I asked, you know, the producers to ask all of you of what stocks you think are going to work in, in this environment or, or, or are working, the names that I got from you, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan, those are interesting calls. Of course, those stocks have worked uh, lately, yeah. although most recently, as interest rates have pulled back, those stocks haven't done quite as well. And then you had that note from Tony Dwyer of Canaccord, who downgraded the financials, just thinking that rates in the near term had topped out. Looks like a pretty good call, at least to this point. Wayfair's on your list. That's just an interesting one to me, just for the fact that that stock's up 522% over 52 weeks. It seems like that is one of those ripe, you know, poster stocks 
that could have a, a, a substantial kind of pullback like some of these other things have had. You want to talk about that? Sure. So, so remember, um, you know, so, so the producers asked us what, what is doing well. And so I, I also think in themes. So I love e-commerce. Uh, Wayfair is one that, that I absolutely love. And when getting back to strategy, we're always rebalancing. So we didn't buy Wayfair however many years ago we bought Wayfair and just kind of like let it ride. Every single client of ours has an asset allocation and we rebalance accordingly, accordingly when it gets out of whack. We do still like have conviction around Wayfair uh, and we don't think that this is a stay at home versus reopen and it's continued to do very, it's has continued to do very well. Um, also on my list, uh, Farfetch, uh, Overstock, um, you know, uh, we were just talking about Target. Uh, Target also has a very robust um, e-commerce business, which we absolutely love. This is kind of our, our uh, tech-adjacent uh, company kind of a category that we talk about. Also, for a, a play for Target is they've partnered with Ulta. So they're going to have Ulta pop-up stores in Target, which we just kind of like love that, that, that specialty piece. But even getting to the financials, you know, I, I've talked about J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs uh, a lot on the show. These are two companies that we love the diversified uh, revenue streams. Um, we love actually both of these companies from an ESG perspective, and they're just steady. Again, we're not looking at these companies in necessarily in necessarily a day or a few weeks. When you look at the numbers for J.P. Morgan in the past month, up 22 percent, right? So yes, a little dip right now. So maybe you you know maybe it's a good time to buy. Um, but Goldman Sachs in the past three months up 27 percent. So we we like those numbers. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure you do. You know, the question is, are you going to like them as much from here and are, are are our viewers well served yep. to buy some of these names here, thinking that those kind of gains that you've enjoyed to this date are going to continue. And that remains the question and why I question you guys, you know, the way I do right. a, a, about all of that. Jim Labenthal, Farmer Jim, what do you think here? So, well, I, you know, look, I, I agree with the housing play here, which is completely bucking uh, where interest rates have gone. So look at Home Depot. It's at an all-time high or very close to it. Sherwin-Williams is only about 4% off its high. But, you know, I, I think we also need to uh, acknowledge that there's a lot of sectors out there that really are working, despite the overall uh, feeling of the markets being ill. So take a look at Cisco Systems. It's at a 52-week high. Now, that bears some perspective because it's down from where it was a year and a half ago. A long-term investor in this name would note that it goes through long periods of consolidation, and it may well be breaking out of one of those periods now. For me, I would really look to the first quarter earnings report, which is many weeks away, to confirm that. But the trend is definitely in the right direction for Cisco Systems. On a little bit more of a, you know, we may have to nurture it call, um, look at the defense stocks. Look at Lockheed Martin and Norfolk, Northrop Grumman, because they have been beaten down so badly on the premise that Democrats in office are not going to spend on defense, that it hides the fact that where they are going to spend on defense is aerospace. And that's what those two companies in particular uh, are focused on. But I will freely admit Northrop Grumman has been a dog for two years. Yeah. How happy are you that you got out of Viacom when you did, Jim? I was thinking about you a lot over the last 24 hours. Well, it's still, you know, and it's on my radar screen, right? You sell a stock, you, of course, uh, look at it. I felt kind of stupid, of course, when it went to 100. I think it's finding fair value. Uh, Scott, I think that run from about 
55 to 100. I really think that was the GameStop Reddit phenomenon. I can't prove it, um, but that, there just wasn't the fundamental reason for it. Now, if this thing comes back down meaningfully more, I may have to get back into it because I do think Paramount Plus has legs. But it just got so far ahead of it, again, because of Reddit. Why do you think it has legs? What, which of those programs do you think has the ability to drive 50 million subs, 75 million subs, so that this thing can play with um, HBO Max, Disney Plus, and Netflix? Because when I look at that lineup of programming, I see Beavis and Butthead is coming back, and they want to make 18 more versions of Star Trek um, and some more exclusive yeah. teen mom content from MTV. So... Out of that slate so, I mean, of potential programming, Josh. where do you see them progressing? <laughs> yeah, listen, it's a good question. This is going to be one of those things where taste matters, and I, you and I don't have the same taste, which is fine. Um, I happen to like Star Trek. I could care less about Beavis and Butthead, but the library same. is a heck is of there, a lot same. more Is there room for 10, 10 of those? Uh, yeah, well, first off, the, the Paramount Plus and its predecessor, which is CBS All Access, has about 19 million subscribers. DOA. It's growing fast. Is it growing as... Hang on, let me finish. Is it growing as fast as Disney Plus? No. But it's growing fast enough that, you know, around $50 a share, I think Viacom is worth investing in. I was in it at 50 The other thing, and this is very important, you got to pay attention to Pluto TV, all right? It has about 35 million subscribers. It's a different business model. It's ad-generated revenue as opposed to subscription. But that actually is generating revenue, and it drives traffic over to Paramount+. Plus. So, listen, I'm not saying this is Disney or Netflix, but nor does it have that market cap. I'm not in Power, the stock right now, Power but Mount down is, around 50, I think i got to take another look. Jim, Paramount is going to charge Josh, $6 for, for ad-supported ad streaming or $9 for no ads. Do you think there's a big audience that wants to pay $6 to watch commercials? I think there's no audience for that. There's already you know, 20 million subscribers. Josh, Josh, you're entitled to have a different opinion than mine. It's That's all fine. good. I want to say again, I'm not in the stock, but it's it's there's 20 you, million subscribers. You guys, so let's 19. Excuse okay. me, Jimmy. You, you've you've made me think of another conversation that I that I want to have now. When you said the words, you know, I, I don't know if it's you know the the Reddit thing or the the meme stock thing or the mania that was around there. You can't prove it, and that made me think of. I wonder what we think about all of these names that we've we've been kicking around. Not not the reopened ones that we think are still working, but the, the ones that have been so inflated that what happens, like I said it before, if, if that money's gone, right? We don't know how much of, of the the ARC stocks and the Kathy Wood stocks have run up because of the mania of this new retail investor who got into the market. And we don't know how much of the Viacoms or the discoveries or things like that that had these great runs and ran up a lot. And now we're coming down. And if that money doesn't come back, Josh, I'm wondering what we what we glean from that. They launched they launched an ETF to own mania stocks, because if you were too lazy and, and couldn't put forth enough effort to buy them on your own, it's like, all right, now you can own all of them. So I thought, my guess was that we would have seen a huge rally in all like the, uh, in all like the, the internet stocks when the, the stimulus checks went out. And I, was, I didn't bet this way. This is what I thought. I thought Bitcoin would go to 75000 right. and, and Instead, it's gone the other way. The, and and right. all it's the gone the other stocks, way. And it completely the other way. So what, do I, so what do I know? I don't know.
No, no, no. You're, I want you to continue your point, right? Because I think a lot of people thought what you thought. My point was I guessed, I guessed wrong. I, that, I literally thought, here it is. This is the crescendo. Like, this is the big moment when they literally put $1,400 in everyone's hands and people say, I know I have a credit card to pay off. I know I have a car that needs a, a taillight, but let me just double this right quick. Like, I thought that that was going to be the mentality, and maybe it was, but it's definitely not showing up in the data. The, the, the Reddit stocks got, got hit, um, and I, I don't root for that, obviously. I, I want to see everybody make money. And Bitcoin sold off, and so what I would have said is about to happen, the opposite happened. So don't listen to me on this. Uh, my instincts were wrong. I know. I, I think your instincts to think that way were right. That's our whole point. Well, is that they were right to think that way. And you're not the initially. only one. And the bigger question is what happens now? Right. We'll continue. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Mm. We have unusual activity coming up. The big tech CEOs grilled on the hill as well. The CEOs of Facebook, Twitter, Alphabet, they're testifying. You're still going through the statements from the lawmakers now. We will be back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Meg Terrell has breaking news for us on Pfizer. Meg? Hey, Scott. Pfizer announcing that it has started its COVID vaccine trial in kids under the age of 12. Uh, just now saying that it has dosed the first participants in this study, which will evaluate how well the COVID-19 vaccine works and its safety and dosing uh, in kids ages 6 months to 11 years old. Now, the company saying it's doing this after tolerability data from its trial in kids ages 12 to 15 supported moving the study into younger children. It says it hopes to have those data Data to share soon. Now, Scott Moderna, of course, last week also announced to dose the first participants in a trial of kids between six months and 12 years old as well. And so we are starting to see these vaccines get tested in younger and younger age groups. And perhaps for that adolescent category, maybe even seeing data soon that could help with back to school in the fall. Scott. Thank you, Meg Terrell, with uh, some interesting Pfizer news there. All right, let's get to some more of the moves that we can uh, squeeze in before the hearings begin down in D.C. Tiffany, you bought more Restoration Hardware. I did, yeah. So we, we actually bought this ahead of their um, good uh, quarter uh, earnings report. So er, they, they actually just posted earnings. They're up uh, uh, increase in revenues like 20%. Gross margins have also expanded all, almost about like a 5%. So we just love and we've loved for for some time that Restoration Hardware is an experience. Um, so it is a very high price point. They do cater to that a luxury market and they have these really cool like, um, you know, flagship stores all across um 
you know, the country where they have restaurants. It's a beautiful experience. But we also like the fact that they have Outlook stores as well, um, which is kind of where I hang out. But just beautiful furniture. Yeah. And they're doing well and really kind of capitalizing on, on all of this, um, all this uh, home, home buying um, activity. It's an experience, Pete, right? It's an experience when you get to that register yes. and that driftwood dining table costs you like $15,000. That's an experience, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. The That's outlet. The, <laughs> outlet. <laughs> the outlet is great. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, the CEO is going to be on with Jim Cramer uh, tonight on Mad Money. So you want to you, you wanna hear from Gary Friedman uh, later on tonight. He's probably not laughing at my joke. My apologies. Uh, American <laughs> Airlines calls. Pete, you bought. Yeah, you know, Scott, I don't think it's over for the airlines. I know a lot of people say, hey, it's made an unbelievable run, but it continues. And I think it can continue still to the upside. And I think when I see the activity coming into Delta and I see the activity coming into the, to American Airlines, it's really hard to resist not being a part of that. Because if you go back further than a year, you go back two years, you see where the airlines were, you see where they are now. Yes, they've recovered significantly, but I still think there's plenty of room. And in American Airlines, they have been buying, Scott, since the stock was in the teens and it's continued continued on this move to the upside. It's trading around a little over 22. They continue to buy upside here. So I'm going to be along for the ride. I was just on an airplane just yesterday. I got to tell you, full capacity within the, the, the restrictions of distance and everything else. But they're seeing more and more and more of that across the industry. I think it goes higher. OK. And Farmer Jim, you sold American Tower and you used the proceeds to buy Camden property. Tell me. Yeah. Well, I know there's actually other people on, on the desk who own American Tower, um, but it just hasn't been working. So I wanted to get rid of it. I have enough uh, cell phone exposure between Qualcomm and Apple. Uh, so then my question was, do I still want real estate exposure? I want some. And my only name is going to be Camden Properties, which is uh, apartment rentals, particularly in the Sun Belt. Look, let's face it, people are moving from the Northeast. They want to go where it's warm. They want to go where it's easier to live. Uh, rentals are picking up. I think this is a good yield plus capital appreciation play. All right, good stuff. We'll take another quick break. I want to get unusual activity in next before those hearings begin with the CEOs of Facebook, Twitter, and Alphabet. They're testifying today on misinformation. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, breaking news. I want to show you a picture of Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, giving his uh, opening statement here, as you can see in those disinformation nation hearings. That's what they're called. 
down on Capitol Hill. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey there, uh, Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai, they're all going to go next. The Q&A is then going to begin. That's when we'll go there. But that is the opening statement from Mark Zuckerberg right there. In the meantime, let's go to Rahel Solomon, who has the headlines for us. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. Here is your CNBC News update at this hour. The U.S. Supreme Court is making it easier for consumers to go to court against companies with a national presence. It unanimously rejected a claim from Ford Motor that it could only be sued over allegedly defective vehicles in states where they were designed, manufactured, or sold. The justices said that even though Ford is incorporated in Delaware and headquartered in Michigan, its business is everywhere. And so as a result, all state courts can consider product liability lawsuits against it. And it's a major shift for the largest trade group for the energy industry. The American Petroleum Institute is now endorsing using carbon pricing to control emissions. The move comes as the Biden administration considers using regulations to limit carbon. And Iceland is once again allowing administration of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now that European regulators have said that it does not raise the risk of blood clots, the country is also shutting down all of its schools until after Easter in an effort to reduce COVID spread. That is our CNBC News update for this hour. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right. Appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you. All right, Pete, unusual activity. Tell us what you see today. Well, you heard me talk about a couple of different retailers. I've got another one for you, Scott. For Since February 1st, we have had eight bullish hits in Gap stores. And that was when the stock started February 1st, 20 and a quarter. Now it's over 27. Today, when it was trading about 27.10, a lot more bullish calls coming in. As a matter of fact, 3,700 of the April 9th expiring, so April 9th, the 27 and a half calls. Those are going for about 85 cents. 3,500 of those were bought I continue to love when I see this over and over and over buying again. We talked about it with the airlines as well. Secondly, I've got another one for you. This one's great because it's Morgan Stanley. This was an $86 stock, pulled back towards 79 today, and we had some incredible buying at the April 1st expiring 80 calls. About 3,000 of those were getting bought for about $1.15, Scott. So I love these financials. I still think there's plenty of upside. Maybe they're in a bit of a pause like Tony Dwyer and I were talking about. Not a sell-off, but a pause. And I think Morgan Stanley's got room to the upside. All right, we'll see. Pete, thank you for that. As I said before, Mark Zuckerberg is currently giving his opening statement at those hearings in Washington, D.C. He'll be followed by Jack Dorsey of Twitter, Sundar Pichai of Alphabet. Once the Q&A portion of the hearing begins, we will take you down there live. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Nike. That stock's down sharply. One of our investment committee members owning it. What do you do? She'll tell you next. All right, two big stories we're following today with breaking news on your left. There he is. There's Sundar Pichai, the Alphabet CEO, is giving his opening statement. Still waiting on Jack Dorsey of Twitter. He will follow, as we just heard from Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. Disinformation Nation, that is the title of the hearing today. You can expect uh, those seats to be pretty hot for those CEOs. We'll go there as soon as the Q&A does begin. On the right-hand side of your screen, you see the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 have gone into positive territory, so we're still following the markets there. I did want to hit the Nike story as well today. That stock was down. Uh, They are the target of criticism on Chinese social media for working conditions uh, in China. Tiffany, you own the stock. Stock went down on earnings recently. It's down again today um, off the lowest levels, but it's still under some pressure. What do you do? Yeah, so, you know, ESG is uh, a huge concern for us. And so we we have liked Nike for a number of reasons um, and 
really for some ESG reasons. And so, you know, Nike has said that they have not uh, sourced any um, you know, products from this particular region in China uh, that is um, that, that, that engages in, in, in forced labor, that may or may not engage in, in forced labor. Um, and they need to make sure that that's the case. Um, and so I just did a really I was looking at like Google searches and, you know, in November, just of 2020, they were among companies who were kind of lobbying Congress to weaken a bill that would ban imported goods made from this com- coming into the U.S. made from this particular region in China. So they've got to make sure that they cannot afford a, a, um, a misstep here. If you're going to be uh, if you're going to have great ESG metrics in the U.S., you have to make sure that you're doing that all around um, or else people are going to question everything. So I'm really hoping that um, that what Nike says is the truth, that they that they are not uh, sourcing any any um, in, any products from from this region in China. Pete, you got a problem with this just from a I mean, from starters, from a P.E. standpoint. Yeah, you know, and, and I nothing against uh, Nike. I think they've they've done an un- unbelievable job as far as their execution, Scott. But when you look at where the PE is, and it was trading in the 60s, and you look at the forward PE in the mid 30s, or maybe even a little bit higher than that, it just feels to me pretty stretched. That's one where it's do- it's twenty dollars off the highs or thereabouts. I still think there's an opportunity, but I think the opportunity comes when we get a little bit more to the downside. And this is one of those situations where, because of that PE being where it is, I think that does help in terms of those who are deciding, hey, look, I got to take some of this off. And that's what's pushing the stock down, I think, a little bit further since earnings. And I I think eventually it would be a buy, but if it doesn't pull all the way back to what would be maybe the upper 20s, Scott, in terms of PE, I I have to stay away. All right. Jim Labenthal, I want to go to you on this Boeing call today. You know, Boeing stock's been real interesting lately, uh, like a boomerang. You know, it had this great run-up uh, almost every day last week, and then it's been down substantially um, this week so far. Price target goes to 265 from 210 at Bank of America, and they reiterate their neutral call on it. What, what's your call? You own it. Yeah, well, I, first off, it could be a 265 next week. That's pretty close to where the share price is right now. I think you go back to what Pete was saying about his air travel experience. And that's, you know, you don't generalize from an anecdote of one. Everybody is saying that. The travel is picking up. People are getting their shots. They want to get out. Um, pricing power is going to come. And with that is the ability to buy new planes. Now, also what's going up are fuel prices, right? We see where crude oil is, even though it's down today, it's up meaningfully over the last year or two. Uh, So new planes are going to be needed for fuel efficiency. I think Boeing is in a sweet spot right now. This give back, this give back is to be expected after the massive run up it had uh, last month into earlier this month. So I think this is the buying opportunity right here at this level. I think it's going much higher than 265. Okay, we've been walking you right up to that hearing in Washington, D.C., the CEOs of big tech, uh, Jack Dorsey of Twitter, is giving his opening statement right now. We've already heard from Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, Sundar Pichai of Alphabet. So we're going to get a little bit closer to the Q&A. We're going to take you there as soon as that happens. Let's kick this around, though, Josh Brown. You own Alphabet, and you think it is going to be the best performing of the big tech stocks this year. Yeah, I also think they have the least baggage from from this particular bit of um, political theater. Uh I, I think that I think that when you watch like the new documentary Q into the storm, like and you see the origin of what they're meeting in Congress about today, like this this goes back to the 1990s. 
And there have always been communities online that have become very adept at spreading stuff to and, and making it go mainstream. But it's not just limited to a handful of internet companies because we know that even the broadcast media does that. They mainstream people who come from out of the woodwork uh, on the internet from these shadowy corners. They give them a platform too. So I don't know that this hearing is really going to resolve anything. And if I'm an investor in these companies, I'm probably not making a buy or sell decision based on anything the CEOs say or are forced to say. Uh, because it'll probably be business as usual starting tomorrow. Sure. But let, let's, I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said. I don't necessarily think there are going to be any changes that come out of a hearing like this. But from a stock standpoint, um, you do think Alphabet is, is the best. Pete, you've got Facebook uh, shares and calls. And yeah. I know you have Alphabet, too. But tell me about Facebook and your outlook for that stock. Yeah, well, start, you know, as we know, uh, Zuckerberg's been up in front of these guys on many different occasions, and the, it doesn't seem to have really hurt the stock as much as we all would expect it to, Scott. And it seems like it, it's, it's actually right. managed to do very, very well. I continue to look at Facebook, by the way, in terms of just the stock. Let's forget everything else. It's inexpensive. They still have growth. They still have all of the different categories that we talk about all the time of different levels of, of, of growth that they've got. And it's been extraordinary. And I think that continues. It, it's a cash machine. And so when you really look at Facebook, just take a look at where that stock was maybe two, three, four, five weeks ago and where it's come to now, Scott. It's, it's pushing and it's, it's kind of gotten a little bit closer to the all-time highs. I actually think this is a stock that could very easily go through those all-time highs, establish new all-time highs because of the fundamental story of what Facebook is and how much money they are taking in. The free cash flow is unbelievable. Yeah, Twitter's done quite well year to date. You know, there were a lot of concerns initially when they banned former President Trump that the stock was just going to be done. Uh, and in fact, that hasn't happened at all. Yet nobody today owns the stock. Uh, I'm wondering, Jim, if you can tell us why you don't own Twitter. And let me remind you as well that I may have to bounce out of your answer and get to the Q&A portion when it begins as soon as uh, Jack Dorsey is finished with his opening statement. Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I keep looking at Twitter and wondering if I, should, uh, if I should buy into it. I think the simplest explanation is I just don't see the uh, subscriber count, or I'm sorry, the, the uh, monthly active user count going up fast enough for me to justify the valuation. Um, it's been around for a long time, seems struck at 300 million. And I think there's, there's a, that's users. I think there's a reason for that. There's a lot of people who don't like the platform and the trolls and the vitriol that comes out. You see Chrissy Teigen today. So I, I'm more comfortable being in something like Google, which has just a much bigger worldwide audience than Twitter. Yeah. You know, Josh, you're, you're an interesting case to, to go to after what, what Jim just said. I mean, I, I know you, you used to like Twitter as a stock. You used to own it. Um, you don't anymore, and you haven't for a while. And you're also not as prolific on Twitter as you used to be. So it seems as though you have as well uh, maybe just moved away from this story altogether. Am, am I, is that a fair way to characterize it? Well, it's, it's a dying platform. Like, that's not a secret. Celebrities don't go on there. If you see a celebrity with a big following, they have somebody running that account. Like, well-known people who have more to lose than to gain are just not interacting there anymore. So they're, they're a majority on Instagram. That's been the case for a long time. It's becoming more so. Um, I stopped tweeting last May. Like, life got really good right after I stopped and hasn't stopped improving. So it's interesting for I don't know of anyone who's ever left for a prolonged period of time and said, I can't wait to go back. 
So, like, that's that's what ends up happening, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's anything Twitter is doing wrong today. I think that's the fundamental nature of the way the platform right. is set up, which is why you I see gotta, people with large followings yeah, want to go elsewhere. And, I mean, look, it's coming from somebody who's got a million Twitter followers, at least. Uh, the Q&A portion has begun. We're going to go there now live. Are advised by counsel, and we're not swearing them in. Why would they need counsel? In, in previous hearings, we've always uh, permitted uh, witnesses to have counsel. Uh, sometimes you'll see them uh, at a hearing just leaning back and talking to their counsel before question. Uh, but uh, it's allowed under our rules. And, and I just wanted to make members aware that they may mute themselves while that's going on. They should be sworn in, but I yell back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Gentlemen, my time is short, and I ask that you make your responses as brief and to the point as possible. Uh, if I ask you a yes or no question, I'm just looking for a yes or no, so please respond appropriately. Uh, I wanna start by asking all three of you um, if your platform bears some responsibility for disseminating disinformation related to the election and the Stop the Steal movement that led to the attack on the Capitol. Just a yes or no answer. Mr. Zuckerberg. Chairman, I think our responsibility is to build systems that can help. Mr. Zuckerberg, I just want a yes or no answer, okay? Yes or no, do you you bear some responsibility for what happened? Congressman, our responsibility is to make sure that we build effective systems to help. Okay, the gentleman's choice is not to answer the question. Uh, Mr. Pichai, yes or no? Well, we always feel a deep sense of responsibility, but I think we worked hard. Uh, This election effort was one of our most substantive efforts. Is that a yes or a no? Uh, Congressman, it's a complex question. Uh, we Okay, we'll move on. Uh, Mr. Dorsey. Yes, but you also have to take into consideration a broader ecosystem. It's not Thank just you. about the technology platforms we use. Thank you. Thank you. And, and uh, I agree with that. Mr. Zuckerberg, independent analysis has shown that despite all the things that Facebook did during the election, users still interacted with election misinformation roughly 1.1 billion times over the last year. The initial Stop the Steal group started on Facebook and gained over 350,000 followers in less than a day, faster than almost any other in your platform's history. Uh, And they were immediately calling for violence. In mid-December, you stopped promoting high-quality news outlets for election content at a time when the disinformation was at its height. And finally, the FBI has released numerous documents showing that many of the insurrectionists use Facebook to coordinate and plan the attack on January 6th. So my question is, how is it possible for you not to at least admit that Facebook played uh, a central role or or a a leading role in facilitating the recruitment, planning, and execution of the attack on the Capitol? Chairman, my my point is that I think that the responsibility here lies with the people who took the actions to break the law and and do the insurrection. And secondarily, also, uh, the, the people who spread uh, that content, uh, in, including the president, but, but others as well, um, with repeated rhetoric over time, um, saying that the election was rigged and, and encouraging people to organize, I, I think that those people bear the primary responsibility as well. And that was the point that but, I was but, making. But you, I, I understand that, but your platforms supercharge that. Uh, you you took what what uh, a thing and, and magnified in twelve hours. You got three hundred fifty thousand people uh, in, in your site. You you 
you, you gin this up, your algorithms make it possible to supercharge these kinds of opinions. I, I think we're here because of what these platforms enable, how your choices, you know, put our lives and our democracy at, at risk. And, and many of us just find it uh, just, just unacceptable. I want to ask each of you another question. Uh, do you think uh, vaccines that have been approved for COVID-19 work? Just yes or no. Do you think the vaccines that have been approved work, Mr. Zuckerberg? Yes. Mr. Pichai? Yes, absolutely. Mr. Dorsey? Yes, but I don't, I don't think we're here to discuss our own personal opinions. It's I just want to know if you think the vaccines work, yes? Yes, however. Thank you. Okay, so if you think the vaccines work, why have your companies allowed accounts that repeatedly offend your vaccine disinformation policies to remain up? I mean, according to report, just 12 accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram account for 65% of all the vaccine disinformation on your platforms. You're exposing tens of millions of users to this every day. I, I don't have the stats on YouTube, but my understanding is it's similar. So my, my question is, why in the midst of a global pandemic that has killed over half a million Americans that you haven't taken these accounts down that are responsible for the preponderance of vaccine disinformation on your platforms? Uh, will you all commit to taking these platforms down today? Mr. Zuckerberg. Congressman, yes, we do have a policy against uh, allowing well, I know you have a policy, but will you take the sites down today? You still have 12 people up on your site doing this. Will you take them down? Congressman, I would need to look at the and, and have our team look at the exact examples to make sure look they violate the policy. And, and get back to us tomorrow because those still exist. We we found them as early as last night. Uh, Mr. Pichai, how about you? Uh, we have removed over eight fifty thousand videos. Uh, in we removed them all. Do you still and... have people that are spreading disinformation on your platforms? There's about twelve super spreaders. We have uh, clear policies, and we take down content. Some of the content is allowed. If it's people's personal experiences, but you know, we we definitely okay, take thank you, Mr. Dorsey. I see my time is getting expired, Mr. Dorsey. Will you we, take these sites down? You got yes, about twelve yes. super spreaders. Will you take them down? Yes, we remove everything against our policy. Thank you. I see my time has expired. Uh, I will now yield to the uh, ranking member, Mr. Latta, for his five minutes. I thank my friend for yielding. Uh, Amanda Todd was just fifteen years old when she hung herself. Amanda met a man and met a man online who took inappropriate screenshots of Amanda and proceeded to follow her around the internet and harass her for years. He found her classmates on Facebook and he would send them the picture he took of her. To cope with the anxiety, Amanda turned to drugs and alcohol, but it came too much for her. Mr. Zuckerberg, clearly, Miss Todd was underage, so the photo that was shared to harass her was illegal. Do you believe that Facebook bears any responsibility for the role it played in her death, yes or no? Sorry, I was muted. Congressman, that is a, it's a incredibly sad story. Cool. And I, 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 I think that we certainly have a responsibility to make sure that we're building systems that can uh, fight and remove this kind of um, harmful content. And in the, in the case of um, child exploitation content, um, we've been building systems for a long time that use AI and we have 
thousands of people working on being able to identify this content and remove it. And I think our systems are generally um, pretty effective at this. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.